Okay, who we've been studying? Moses. Right, Moses. And when we first looked at him, we looked at his call. And uh, where would you find his call, by the way? Chapter 12. Well, that, that oh, would be Moses. Abraham. Sorry, that was Abraham. <laughs> That'd be Abraham. I had Abraham on the brain. You Sorry. did have Abraham. <laughs> and you answered a great answer for Abraham. What about Moses? <laughs> it's in Exodus. Where do we see his call specifically? Three. At the burning bush, chapter three. Chapter three and four. I didn't know. And, and <laughs> as we looked at that, we looked at the types of people that God calls, and we said, well, you know what? I'm, I kind of can fit in that, in those categories. He was a sinner, and God was still able to use him. I know I'm a sinner, and at times I think I'm too bad a sinner for God to use me, but God still uses me. He still calls me. He called him, he calls me. Um, and even though he calls me, prepares me for the missions that I have. But even with all of that, sometimes I see the task that he's got for me and I'm like, hmm, And these were all true of Moses. They'd be true of us too, and yet God still used him. And then last week, remember what we looked at from Moses? Yeah, it's, it's the time when God is going to do what God had called him to do, to go and uh, the Lord's heard the, um, the cry of his people and their wicked slave masters. And so he's sending Moses to deliver them and then the deliverance and how that deliverance happens. And it's actually a contest, right? What's the contest? The God against their God. They're the one true living God against their idols that they, you know. And so each, each play, in a sense, had, uh, had one of their, or some of their gods in mind. And they were supposed to be able to help them with that, and, and they couldn't. Uh, and so you saw, at the end, everybody said, God said, you'll know that I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, and there's no one like me in all the earth. And so we, we saw that happen. And so Moses delivers the people. Well, he takes them out. Uh, all right, well, that's kind of a quick review. Fast forward 3,000 years, okay. <laughs> Spring of 1940, um, the, the uh, German, Germany had become a force again, even after World War I, and they were told never to do this again. They did it anyway, and no one would stop them. They built up this huge army, and they decided they were going to get back at those who treated them so poorly after the First World War. And so they invaded France, you recall. And there were a number of British troops there in France trying to help uh, keep Germany from destroying France at that time. But France faults. Uh, you ever heard about all the all the guns that were for sale from France, they, they were uh, never shot, but they were dropped only once, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, there were, were British soldiers there, and they were trying to get out. They were not uh, equipped to take on this blitzkrieg of the German army, and so something like 350,000 British soldiers uh, escaped 
uh, the onslaught of the German war machine by evacuating France from a place called Dunkirk. They had a movie on it not too long ago. We, we saw, I don't know if anybody else saw it. Uh, Dunkirk? Pretty good. Yeah. Was it a pretty good movie? It was pretty good, yeah. They, they, uh, the, the way they had to do it was get people who had um, boats big enough to haul some soldiers, uh, people, you know, individuals, boats would go over and get them and, and haul them back in small groups, and they were able to get them, bring them back, and it was pretty amazing what happened. Well, once this happens, Churchill speaking to the people uh, says this. He says, uh, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty and so bear ourselves that if the British Commonwealth and Empire last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. Mm. Uh, tonight we're going to look at what James Boyce calls uh, Moses' finest hour. We've looked at some things. We look at uh, especially uh, his going to Pharaoh and telling Pharaoh to let, let the people go and God using him, you know, and all these plagues and stuff. And, and when they crossing the Red Sea, you might think of that as his finest hour. Uh, some other things you might think of as his, as his finest hour, but um, this seems to be tonight what we're going to talk about. Um, really, when you think of Moses possibly his finest hour. Uh, we're going to do some context to get us up to that. And so with that in mind, um, we're going to begin looking in Exodus 19. <clears throat> First eight verses. Now I'll let somebody else read that if they would like to. Volunteer. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim okay, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in, in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Okay. So it's kind of a covenant, right? God's making a covenant with, uh, with Moses and the, and the people of Israel at this point. It's kind of a, the Mosaic covenant, if you will. Do you remember the promises I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the land that's there? I'm going to fulfill this to you if you'll do everything that I say to do, right? And what do they respond? All this we will do. Be glad to do it. Right? And so the Lord's going to reveal himself to them. He tells Moses at this point, uh, you know, 
get the people out, coming up to Mount Sinai, um, you put a, you know, put barriers around it. Don't let any people run onto it. If an animal runs onto it, you got to shoot him with a bow, that sort of thing. Don't let it break out. Um, but uh, you bring them up because they're going to hear me speak. And then we get to chapter 20. What do we find in Exodus chapter 20? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, spoken from Mount Sinai. And it's kind of a scary scene, I think, and all the people are there to see it. Um, because as this happens, um, look with me in Exodus 20, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, and they heard the trumpet, and they saw the mountain in smoke, they feared with they trembled in fear. I, I can understand that. I, I would probably be pretty fearful of that as well. And they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. How, how are they feeling about this God who has spoken to them? This God who has brought them out with all of these uh, plagues to bring them out of Egypt and they see how what he's done to keep the uh, Egyptian army from following them across the Red Sea you know he he dried it up they walked across and the Egyptians chase him after and he closes it up on them. they've seen all this stuff and now they've heard him speak and now they're truly terrified of him right Moses please you can talk to him and, and tell us what he says we'll, we'll listen to you on that okay don't let him speak to us. That's, that's too terrifying of a thing. Now, we go on. Uh, hold, kind of hold your place here because we're coming. Uh, uh, we'll go flip over to chapter 24 because that's where we want to be. Um, chapter 24. <clears throat> Again, confirming this covenant, confirming this covenant with Moses and the people. And the first a few verses there, uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew, Exodus 24, verses 1 through 3. Then, the, uh, then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the servant, 70 of the elders of Israel. You are uh, to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. And the others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him and Moses went out and told all the people the words uh, and laws, and they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Okay. God, you've, uh, you've, you've told us, you've given us the law, we'll do it. Okay. Okay. Remember, this is, their, this is their response to this law. God says, you do this, it's what you're going to get. And they're saying, yep, okay, we'll do it. So, um, later on, in, after they have once again made this pronouncement, everything we will do, everything that you have said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And remember the law that was given there on, the, on, the, on Mount Sinai. They heard it with their own ears, terrified them to death. I mean, who would think of uh, seeing that, uh, experiencing that sort of uh, thing and then saying, ah, I don't have to, I'm not going to obey that, right? At that point, you, you're like, uh, I'm going to do everything he says, because that, that's pretty serious stuff. So here, uh, towards the, a little bit later, in chapter 24, 
Uh, verse 12, the Lord says to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you tablets of stone and the laws with the laws and commandments uh, I have written uh, for their instructions. And so you see over the next few chapters is what's happening. Moses is up there with Joshua, and they're up on the mountain, and he's beginning to get the laws and the instructions, laws for the uh, offerings for the tabernacle, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the tabernacle itself, uh, the altar burnt offering, the courtyard, uh, oil for the lampstand, priestly garments, the ephod, the breastplate, uh, consecration of the priests, um, the altar of incense, the basin for washing, uh, the anointing oil, uh, incense, uh, and, and so on. And so this is all going on. Uh, these next several chapters, the Lord's giving him these very specific laws about this stuff. What's, what's to happen? Uh, for the people. And so while Moses and Joshua are still up on the mountain getting this, we come to chapter 32. Okay? Now, off the hills, uh, uh, being at Mount Sinai, and them hearing, uh, and before they hear the law, they say, everything you say, we'll do. And then they hear it and they say, man, we don't want to mess with this God. Moses, so much so that you go and talk to him and bring his word back to us will listen. And then God calls him up on the mountain. Get the picture. God's called him up on the mountain to receive the law and he seems to be gone to them a very long time. Um, as uh, uh, is it uh, Paul, Simon? Simon and Garfield say he got a short little span of attention. And uh, that's what they were. People with a short little span of attention. And so that's where we pick it up in chapter 32. Um, I'm going to need some long-winded readers. Okay. See the first one. Do I have a second long-winded reader? Okay. Glenda, you're going to be first, and Glenda, you'll be second. Um, oh, he said first. So oh, did he? Oh, Dave, James. Okay. All right, so we're going to read uh, through in chapter 32 through verse 32. And so uh, James read the first 16, and Linda read the next 16. That will work out pretty well. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. 
They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountain, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that he had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> and Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword upon your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. 
But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day, the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Okay. So the people say, he's gone. We don't know what happened to him. I don't know how long it was. A matter of weeks, maybe? Months. Huh? 40 days. 40 days and 40 nights? Could be. He was uh, certainly in the in the wilderness for 40 years. and uh, Yeah, he didn't use 40. It could very well be. Um, but he was gone. And it was long enough for them to say, I don't know what happened to him. Now remember when we talked about their gods and their gods being fashioned, especially in some of the animals and the, and the, the, the calves that were there. There's one special one. Supposed to be the one of the most power and stuff. Well, they come to Aaron and they go, We need to see our God. We need to see our gods. Uh, we don't know what happens to Moses. You know, he's been up there an awful long time. It's kind of wild up there. We're thinking he might not be coming back. So, Aaron, you're next. You need to show us our God. Takes, uh, takes all their gold shapes it into a golden calf and says here he is here's your god and uh we'll come out tomorrow for worship and you notice their worship it's uh we would think this was lively worship this is the kind of worship that people get man we really worship today i've got a good friend who's a minister uh from high school and uh he's part of a different denomination but uh uh, his wife often puts on a Facebook thing before they're getting ready for worship on Sunday morning. Ready to get my worship on, you know. When I hear that, I'm thinking this. Okay, uh, they were ready to get. Their, I'm sorry. They're they're ready to get their worship on. This is something that they rise up early. No one was complaining about having to get up early on Sunday morning, a time that they should be able to get up and rest. No, they weren't worried about that. They weren't looking and going, it is such a nice day. It's such a shame we have to be in a place like church when we could be out golfing or fishing or doing something, you know, a lot of fun. Uh, but we got to go to church. Um, they weren't worried about that. They weren't going to worry about the type of music that they were going to be hearing. It was going to be a boring type of music, not my, their cup of tea. There was none of that. Um, this was this is quite exciting to them. No one had to be forced to come. I imagine if they even felt like they had a cold coming on, they still made it, right? Um, it wasn't any of that sort of thing. They all came out and they, they burnt their offerings there and they gave their their burnt offerings and their fellowship offerings and they sat down to eat and drink and they got up to indulge in revel revelry. Uh, I'm not sure what all that involves, but it's probably <laughs> dancing around and singing to the tops of their voices and this would probably make Rock Church look really tame. <laughs> and the noise that's there goes up quite a ways. So Moses and Joshua hear it way up on the mountain. Uh, they hear it, and Joshua says, I think there's a battle going on. Moses goes, that's not the sound of battle. Anyway, we, we go on. Uh, verses uh, 10 through 7, or 7 through 10, excuse me. We can 
little dyslexic here. But verses 7 through 10, God comes against Moses, uh, and he says to him, uh, you know, it's, it, it's not going good down there, um, so we need, to, uh, we need to get this taken care of quickly. Uh, and it's interesting, in this uh, little dialogue here between God and Moses, at this, at this place, um, first of all, the Lord says, uh, go down because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. <laughs> Moses, are your people, and you brought them out. And uh, Moses, a little bit later, will say, um, verse 11, he says, um, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt? <laughs> mother and the father thing, right? It's not my son. You're, do you know what your son did? Anyway, that uh, kind of seems to be the sort of thing that's going on here, but uh, uh, God says, you know what? I, I see this is bad. Uh, you need to get down there. I, they are, in verse 9, they're a stiff-necked people. Uh, now, and he says, leave God says, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them and I will make you into a great nation. I'm going to start over. They have really done it this time. And I'm going to start over with you. How would that make Moses feel? Good news would feel really yeah. big. Wow. Yeah, okay. That's fine. I'll be a lot better. I'll be good for you. You know, you can start over with it. But that doesn't, that's not what Moses does. And so instead, he begins a dialogue with God here a little bit. And you notice how he says what he does to talk God out of destroying the people at this time and starting over with Moses. And what's his argument? Starting there in verse 11. It's your. It is your people. Concerned about what the Egyptians would say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth. Yeah, just think what just think what others who see this will think. Don't think you're some kind of really wicked God. And he says, you, aren't you going to remember your covenant promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Then says God relents. Right? Um, Obviously, we're, we're speaking uh, in human terms uh, towards God. Has God ever needed to repent of anything? No. Was Moses' wisdom so much greater than God's here that he talks him out of what he was really planning on doing? No, it seems that maybe there's something going on here for Moses. For Moses' sake. For Moses to, to uh, be responding properly. And I think that that's, that's the way we need to, we need to see it. Well, <clears throat> um, and so he, he appeals to God and his goodness and his faithfulness to his uh, promises to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel, he says here. Uh, don't, don't let the Egyptians see this and think you just brought us out here to kill us and wipe us off the face of the earth. And so uh, then Moses... Goes to go down, turns to go down the mountain, and that's where he meets up with Joshua. And there's this discussion about what is really going on down there. And um, it's 
Moses knows what it is. God's already told him. Joshua may be a little confused about it, but as they get closer, maybe he realizes. And in verse 19 through 20, Moses' initial reaction to what's going on down there, right? How does he respond when he gets down to the camp and he sees the calf and the dancing and all this really getting their worship on? How does he respond to it? Throws the tablets. Yeah, he gets angry, throws the tablets. These are tablets of stone that God has written with his own hand. You would think you would... I'd have to be pretty upset. You know, when you, when, you, when you know you've got to throw something and you, all you've got in your hand is your phone, <laughs> you think, where's, where's Sam's phone when I need it? You know? <laughs> but, but, I mean, this gets beyond him and it's like, here are these tablets God's written on and he throws them and they, they break. What else does he do? Some interesting stuff here. Grinds up the calf and throws it in the water and makes the people drink the water. Yeah, he burns, burns up the calf. Then he, he uh, grounds it into powder and throws the powder of the, uh, of the uh, gold onto the water and he makes the people drink the water. Do you have any idea why he might be doing that? Go water. Huh? <laughs> Go water. Go water. Uh, uh, they're consuming their so-called God. They're consuming their so-called God and what will happen with consumption of that so-called God after they've consumed him. Bring a disease. It can't be healthy for you. I wouldn't think it would be too healthy, but they're going to expel him too. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, an interesting thing here. You grind it into powder, put it in their water, make them drink it, and so you'll see what actually happens to uh, your so-called God. It's not a good thing. I mean, this, this is right off the heels of having the, the second commandment, you know, where they heard there in, in, in Exodus 20, and they keep saying all this will do. And they're not doing it, right? And so <clears throat> Moses gets angry. This is what he does. Uh, the, the dialogue between Moses and Aaron, I, I missed that just a little bit. The dialogue between Moses and Aaron is kind of interesting too, right? 21 through 24. When he, he comes to Aaron, he's thinking better. I'm thinking better of my older brother here. Um, Aaron, what did these people do to you? <laughs> they must have held you at gunpoint. They must have got duct tape and tied you down and, and held hot coals at your face. What did they do to you to cause you to do this? How does, how does Aaron respond? Don't be mad at me. <laughs> Do not be angry, my lord. You know how these people are prone to evil. <laughs> you, know how, you know how these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. So I said to them, whoever has any jewelry, take it off. And then, uh, and, and then they gave it to me, gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire. And out came this cat. <laughs> huh? Yeah. So, so is he trying to? He's maybe skipping a few steps. <laughs> maybe when when we uh, 
we, we might do that sometimes when we don't want to catch all the blame for what's out there. We just, uh, I skipped a few little details in there. Uh, he, he has definitely skipped some, some little details. And Moses sees that uh, under the control of Aaron, the people are kind of out running wild, doing whatever they want to. They are out of control. They become a laughing stock. They're enemies. And so he says, we've got to get control here again. And so he says, are any of you with me, with the Lord? And, of course, here the uh, uh, Levites come up saying, yeah, we're with you. And so he says, you've got to do something tough here. There's got to be some discipline here. And he says, uh, you, you go out and you find the, the ringleaders. You take your swords and you've got, you got to kill them. And so we find out that that day about 3,000 of the Israelites, 3,000 of the, well, I think it's about 2 million, uh, die as a result of this. There's punishment. Um, Moses has been up with the Lord receiving the law and he sees the uh, penal aspects of the law and sees that God is pretty serious about them obeying his law and knows that they've already heard it and they blatantly disobeyed him. God's already mentioned to Moses he just wants to wipe them out. So Moses is trying to do something that maybe this will appease the Lord a little bit. And now... Now, um, verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go back to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. He'd been thinking about it all night, I'm sure, thinking about what in the world can I do? I know God is absolutely just. He cannot allow sin. He cannot allow this sort of thing. He is ready to wipe these people off the face of the earth. What can I do to keep him from doing it? And how can I, how can I appeal to him? Can I make an atonement to bring them back? Uh, atonement means uh, parties who are at odds or, or somehow brought back together and are, are one again. And um, so, verse 31, Moses went back to the Lord and he said, this, is, this must be something he'd been thinking about a lot. And I think probably every uh, translation has something like this. He, he doesn't end the sentence. He doesn't end the sentence completely. Uh, the NIV's got a dash there. I think the uh, King James has a dash there. He, he doesn't complete a sentence. It's like, I, I can't get this out. This, this is what I know I have to do, but this is difficult. And so, verse 31, uh, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now, and you can just hear him faltering, but now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then, then, then blot me out of the book that you have written. <laughs> blot me. Take me instead of them. I know that they've done a terrible thing. And Lord, if you'll take me instead of them, that'd be a great thing. This is what James Boyce says is Moses' finest hour. <laughs> when he could say, in reality, say, punish me for their sin. Let them live. Well, Moses couldn't actually be punished for their sin because he was a sinner too. 
But in doing this, he's in a way looking forward to one who would come who would have to do that for all of us. Paul in Acts chapter 9, this is after Christ has come, and he's saying in all honesty, he's looking at his people, the Israelites, who rejected their Messiah and knows that uh, what's going to happen because of their rejecting their Messiah. And he says, I'm I'm telling you the truth. Uh, Not any falseness in what I'm saying here at all. He says, I wish that for their sake I could be cursed if they could be saved. But there again, Paul wasn't the one who could do it. Paul at that point, and I think probably Moses too, knew that one would come for this. God himself would send the one who would come to to do what was necessary to atone for their sins. Romans 5.8, God loved us so much that how is it? God demonstrated his own love for us in this that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read about God making him who knew no sin to become sin for us. God himself was going to bring the sacrifice that would be necessary for the atonement for our sin. The punishment would be the wrath of God poured out on sinful man. We see uh, in the Old Testament that uh, cursed, cursed by God, is anyone who is hung on a tree. And Paul makes much of that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians 3, 13. He's talking about Christ. Uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a Moses was saying don't curse them, curse me Moses couldn't do it but he had the right understanding something has to be done for these people because God is a just God but he was not completely understanding that he wasn't righteous enough to make that atonement that he wasn't righteous enough to to redeem the people Paul I think knew that he wasn't righteous enough he still loved the people and was willing to die for them. But Christ is the only one who is truly righteous enough, the only one uh, who knew no sin, who would take our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He took the curse for us by dying on the cross and God's curse being poured out on him on the cross. So Moses' finest hour, if you will, is the hour when he would say to himself, it's not so much about me. If you can take me as payment for their sins, do that instead of pouring out your wrath on them. He couldn't do it. He needed someone to do it for him. Only Christ could, and Christ did. So that's a good thing to know. All right. Moses' is finest hour. Lord, don't blot them out. Blot me out of your book. Maybe if we could have that kind of love for one another as well. Let me pray.